0: Um, this morning, um, we're jumping into Luke chapter 9. And I going to admit, this next six weeks is going to be a little different. It's going to hopefully really mess with you. That's, I'm always hoping to mess with you. If you haven't noticed. If you're new to this place, um, that's what we do. And the series we're in is something called Mile Markers. And my hope is is that we're all going to be able to, over the next six weeks, reflect on our stage, not only of our season of life, but our stage in in our apprenticeship to Jesus. To take this time, like, as the season kind of winds into the school year and there's, you know, just so much happening and getting back to a schedule and all that kind of stuff that you and I could reflect on our life as we turn this corner into fall. And uh, my hope is is that it will do something to you to help you to take the next step. And it will also mess with you a bit because I, I hope, because I think that many of us have grown up with an idea of discipleship or following Jesus or whatever Um, that has, over the last 30 or 40 years, kind of there's been kind of a standard way of looking at it, that I hope this kind of jacks that paradigm up a little bit for you. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go way back. We're going to go way back, and we're going to study some of how the early church and the early church fathers looked at following Jesus. And there's a number of different ways. But we're going to dive in. We're going to start in Luke chapter 9, though. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. It says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, and that's Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. So think about some literature that we've got in our in our lives as human beings. We've got um, the Odyssey, right, by Homer. We have the Divine Comedy by Dante. We have Pilgrim's Progress. Anybody read Pilgrim's Progress? Yeah, by John Bunyan. Uh, it's weird, but, you know. Um, <laughs> have you ever read the children's version? Children's Pilgrim. Yeah, there we go. That one's better. There's pictures. Um, The Lord of the Rings, anybody, fans, like four, 12, okay. Star Wars, stories in our, okay, we got some whistles for Star Wars. But these are all stories, right? All the great stories in human history are about a journey. They're all about the hero, and the hero has a certain journey ahead of them, right? So when you think about these stories, the hero leaves home and then the hero experiences a crisis or what the hymn that we're familiar with faces many toils and snares, right? The hero faces a crisis. There's a descent for the hero and then an ascent for the hero in the story. And then they experience what... um, J.R.R. Tolkien kind of labeled a eucatastrophe, which is a a sudden turn of events and and a good turn of events for the hero, right? And and this is salvation, so to speak, outside of themselves. So something happens outside of their control that is a, a fortunate turn of events for them. And then they pass that on to others and they return home. Every great human story has these elements in it. And it's the same story in a thousand iterations. It's in Greek mythology. It's all the way up into our present Netflix culture. Although our, our, our new stories are about anti-heroes. Because these stories are actually human stories. They're actually about a human journey. And the Old Testament has it. The main stories in the Old Testament, Abraham, God says, leave your home, go on this journey um, to a place that I will tell you. And there's just all these things that happen along the way. We have the Exodus story, a journey from slavery to freedom. Um, In the New Testament, we have writers in the New Testament, the four gospels. We have Jesus saying, come and follow uh, me. And and that kind of implies a journey. That implies more than just, um, hey, uh, pray a prayer, and show up at church one 1.4 times a month, which is the new national average. Jesus said, come and follow me. Come and follow. And that word follow, uh, or that word uh, that we read, actually, in Luke 9, he says, uh, as they were walking along the road, the road, the word the road, is, is kind of like a double meaning. The road is hadas, which means the way. And so what Jesus is saying is, don't just kind of walk along this road with me. Walk along the road the way that I'm walking. And you and I are invited into the journey. So for Jesus to follow Jesus on his hadas, his way, is to go on a journey with Jesus. And that's what we're invited. And so to our journey, our journey to God and our journey to become like God, godly, okay? And and to become more, in the language of John 15 through 17, to become more unified, united in union with God, it's a journey. It's a journey that's from slavery to freedom, from woundedness to healing, Mm -hmm. It's a journey that actually has a lot to do with, uh, uh, you know, getting rid of our false self, coming into our true self, um, from, from focus on ourselves to loving others, and from immaturity to maturity. That's part of the journey. Here's a sample of some of the New Testament writers. Listen to this. First Corinthians 13, it says, uh, Paul says this, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child, when I became a man I put the ways of childhood behind me. Paul's actually comparing not only like physical growth and our neurobiological development with actually our spiritual development. There's a journey that we go on as we grow as human beings physically and mentally just like there's a journey we go on when we're growing spiritually. Uh, Hebrews 5 says this, in fact, and this is kind of like a negative version, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of, of God's word all over. You need milk, not solid food. So the writer of Hebrews is actually saying you should be further along, but you're still here, right? Why haven't you moved? You could be teaching now. You could be. Uh, pointing the way to others. Look at First Peter. He says, like newborn babies, craves pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. This idea for us is salvation's the, this moment, right? Like we have a moment with God, you know, at a retreat or whatever, and then we're quote unquote saved. And then we just kind of, in a sense, live our life, with a little bit of Jesus in it, and then wait to die. Um, But Peter's saying, no, salvation is something you grow up into. That there's actually a process, that there's a movement that happens in there. And then here's 1 John 2. John says, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Now, it's kind of a tricky passage. We're like, what what is going on here? John Stott, who's a famous theologian, um, he commented on this. And this is what he had to say. This will be on the screen. The three groups represent three different stages of spiritual pilgrimage. The little children are those newborn in Christ the young men are more developed Christians, strong and victorious in spiritual warfare, while the fathers possess the depth and stability of ripe Christian experience. John Stott, I think, is really brilliant. I mean, and he uses the word stages. And I think that's really helpful language for us. There are stages in our lives. Like if you were to map your life, okay, it probably wouldn't look like one little perfectly linear uh, trajectory from from when you found out about who Jesus was to where you are now. Um, I'm sure there's just bumps along the way. And and, and there's a really good exercise to look through that. For me, and we're going to talk about something called stage theory in a bit, but for me, as I've reflected on my life, and I've had to do some of that in my life, Um, just uh, based on some of the things I've done. So faith walking, things like that. As I look back on my life, it's an interesting journey. My journey is different than yours. And it's really fun to hear each other's journeys. It's actually encouraging. There's some similarities. Not all journeys are the same, and not all journeys are different. So for me, I came to know uh, Jesus um, as a young kid. But then again, in high school, some moments in high school that were really profound for me, um, I ended up jumping into doing youth ministry um, right out of college. And I had all this like excitement, and, and I was so pumped to, to do it. Um, I was gung-ho, and, but I was not good at uh, reflecting on my life. And reflecting on places in my life that needed healing and fixing. And, um, and so there was a season um, after some tragedy with Columbine, as we talk about uh, shootings, um, uh, Columbine happened and we were down near Columbine and had a lot of kids at that school. And I just ended up just pouring out myself and, and I was just empty and bitter and cynical and frustrated. And I began to look at Uh, my paycheck differently, and my calling differently. And, um, And so I was really successful at doing things, but really unsuccessful at being. And so that sign outside is not just a slogan, be, become, do. It's actually much more than a slogan. It's actually what we hope to be. It's actually what we're shooting for. It's a goal. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. I was really good at doing what jesus did but it was coming out of some other place than being with jesus and becoming like jesus and so i left ministry for a while and there was a season of healing and there was a season of stay-at-home dadness and there was (laughs) all these things and then i came back into ministry and then great things happen hard things happen i got hurt and wounded by church people shocking um There's just all this back and forth, up and down stuff in my life um, that I'm not going to totally get into. Um, And then I remember um, as we were praying about planting this church and and all that, and there was a journey, even part of this church. And the first two years, didn't think we were going to make it. Had a panic attack. Lots of things going on. And I remember sitting with some pastors one day, and someone brought up the stat from a guy named Robert Clinton that talked about stage theory and spiritual leadership. And the stat was ugly. He said in Christian leadership, 30% of people in Christian leadership actually end well. 30% of people in Christian leadership end well, which means 70% of people in Christian leadership, you know, are disqualified because of a moral failure or whatever, or they just get cynical and burned out and then they become atheists and write books. And you're laughing, but it's very true. The point I'm trying to make to you is I actually had to reflect on my own life and go, okay, what does this look like for me? What is the next step for me? What stage stage am I on in this journey? Um, how How do I get unstuck? How do I get from becoming cynical and less loving and frustrated and angry? On our latest vacation, we were in Mexico in May and I was reading a book by a guy named Ronald Rollheiser uh, called Sacred Fire. It's a really great book. And I'm reading it and then I'm talking to Angelo about it and, it. and it sounds really depressing to Angela because it talks about first half, second half of life. We're gonna talk about it in a few weeks. First half of life, second half of life. And she's like, what are you saying? Are you saying you're on the second half of life? Are you saying we're getting old? And I'm like, kinda a little bit, like I want to be ready for it. Like I want to be ready for what's next in my life. I want to be ready for what God is doing right now in our lives. And as you know, our kids are finishing high school and like all that kind of, well, Sydney already finished, but the point is, is like, this is a new chapter for us. I was talking to Pete today and Pete's like, is that weird? You don't have like a back to school night this year? Yeah. It's really awesome. Like I'm not going to miss parent, teacher conferences or any of that. Field day Like we celebrated when field days were over. It's awesome. But here's the thing: what I'm telling you and you teachers are probably bitter right now but what I'm telling you is this: I've been reflecting: Is there a map for the journey forward? Or, is the outcome just, if I keep going the way I am, am I going to just get more secular? Am I going to get more cynical? Am I going to pull away from people as I age? Or am I going to engage this world more as I age? And for those of you who have kids, young kids, you're like, this doesn't make any sense to me. I have zero time in my life. How do we follow Jesus in an age where we're constantly chasing kids, constantly changing diapers? We're exhausted by 3 p.m. or 9 a.m. <laughs> like, how does it? What does it look like for that? Some of you are single or single later on in life. What does it look like when your house is empty and it's never been empty before, or you feel like it's been empty forever? What does it look like to follow Jesus in this time of your life? Right. And one of the things I love about this church is we're multigenerational. There are people from all different walks of life, all different experiences right now in their life. Some of you have high school kids. Some of you have no kids. Some of you are single. Some of you are engaged. others just so much different stages in this church, and I think it's beautiful. But stage theory is basically this idea of how do we map our spiritual life? How do we map where we are and where we're going? Are there people, are there, are there things throughout church history that can help us? Are there people 1,500 years ago, 2,000 years ago, that have written something down in a poem or in a book or in a, in a liturgy that can help us navigate what it looks like to follow Jesus right now? And there is. Um, 17th century Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan, wrote the Pilgrim's Progress as an allegory, to what it looks like to follow Jesus. And there's some weird language in it and some weird stuff, but the children's version is great, you know, talking about the giant of despair or that, you know, there's just all these different things that happen. But here's the thing. I want to push against some of the things that we've experienced in our lives, in church life. Church life for us has been really laid out simple. You, You get quote unquote saved And then you're expected to show up at church every week. And then you're expected to volunteer in the church. Then you're expected to give, maybe in different orders. Then you're expected to join a small group. Then you're expected to read your Bible every morning for like an hour and a half. And then pray for another hour and a half. Then you're expected to go on retreats and mission trips Then you're expected to, depending on the place you live or where you are, vote a certain way, act a certain way, not drink certain things. You get my drift? And that ends up becoming kind of what it looks like to follow Jesus. But the ancients didn't see it that way. Uh, One of my favorite people um, that I got to study under was a guy named Bruce Demarest. Bruce Demarest, he, took, he wrote a paper, and I'm sorry if this sounds kind of seminar-ish, but I'm just setting things up to where we're going. He wrote a paper charting through history what stage theory and following Jesus looked like. And it's a really great paper. Um, here's a synopsis of it. I'm going to read to you. He said, spiritual journey paradigms provide the perspective that there yet remains much ground to be gained spiritually. He's saying there's more to come for you. There's more out there. There's more change and growth to come for you. Stage theory, moreover, provides a comprehensive frame of reference for the journey. It helps us gain clarity as to where we are presently located in the continuum of maturity in Christ. It aids heightened understanding of the contours we must yet travel on the course. It assists us not to repeat past mistakes and to avoid future pitfalls. It like, will likely alert us to a season of testing, crisis, and dark nights yet to come. It will inform us of valuable resources that can enrich prayer experience, facilitate emotional and spiritual healing, and deepen a transforming relationship with Christ. So our goal is this. We want to look ahead and go, what are the stages to come, things to avoid, in our season. Uh, we want to learn what it looks like to, to experience the invitations of Jesus right now. Like right now in your stage of life, what does it look like to experience the invitation of Jesus? And here's the other thing. This is so huge, especially in a church that's so different. It gives us compassion for each other. Like some of you might be, gone, uh, might be frustrated at how the younger followers of Jesus just haven't gotten to a certain place yet but have compassion on them. And for some of you who are maybe further behind in the journey and you wish you would overcome something and you haven't overcome it, like not to envy or, or, or just feel um, like defeated or compare yourself to someone who's further down the road. So this is kind of the hard part about teaching this because we're all in different places, right? And you may hear something and you go, ah, that doesn't apply to me. Well, that's okay. It might apply to the person next to you. It's like, get over it, right? Like it's, this is kind of like, how do we leave, live out our stage right now? And there's, like I said, there's so many different seasons of life in the room and life is not linear. Life isn't just gonna be a perfect progress. There's going to be progress and regress. There's going to be ups and downs. Um, Think of it like some of you hate the the board game monopoly, but think about monopoly. And you keep going around the board and there's just different things that you face around the board every single time you go around the board. And that's almost like how the year looks. Some of you in this room deal with seasonal depression and it comes in the fall and you know it's coming. Like, what does it look like to pass through that again this year? listening to the invitations of Jesus along the way. One of my, I put four books on the, on the back of your program. And you can pick them up, you can read them, you can disagree with them, that's fine. They're just there for your reference if you'd like to. One of my favorite is a guy named Robert Mulholland. I'm reading it right now, I'm almost finished. But he wrote this. This means we can be at different stages in different areas. In one area we may be well along in the path to wholeness while in another area God is just beginning to awaken us to another part of our life that needs transformation. Since God always leaves us free to reject transformation, it is also possible possible for us to regress in this process. This is our Christian pilgrimage. It is a complex, multifaceted, multi-level ebb and flow relationship with God, meaning this and you need to hear this. And this is really key. You do not have to grow into Christ-likeness. You do not have to. You can plateau. You can uh, regress. You can, uh, you can just stop. It's up to you. And, and so my encouragement for us is that there is more than one way to look at following Jesus One of those, and I'm going to go through it very briefly. It's going to take like three minutes, and then we'll be finished up. One of them is the most ancient paradigm. It's called the three ways. It was actually developed by Origen, um, carried along by a guy named Anselm, um, and and, and further, Aquinas, John of the Cross, Teresa Avelia, um, all of these people. And then further into history, anybody know John Ortberg? Heard of John Ortberg? wrote some great books. He's out in, in California, um, Robert Mulholland. Said, they, they they look at these three ways. It's actually, it's going to sound like four because it's awakening, purgation, illumination, and union. It sounds like four, and you're like, you're an idiot, Ryan. That's four. It's three. Um, awakening is that kind of a pre-stage. And so I'm going to really quick run through this and see if this kind of resonates with your life at all, okay? Um, awakening is this stage in our lives where we become awake to who God is, okay? This is like when you are are first getting introduced to Jesus, and, and you become awake to the reality of God in a culture that is asleep. And so there is a God, um, the reality of ourselves as we actually are, and, and when you actually see yourself for who you are in light of who God is, there's something that kind of changes, in us. And, and, and you come to realize that there's more to life. You come to realize that um, we're just not animals with chance and time on our side, um, that there's more to that, that you experience what Jesus calls new birth in your life. You become a whole new person. You see the world differently. Um, and, and your world is expanded and your eyes are opened, right? To this idea that there is a creator that loves you and wants a better life for you and has forgiven you. And this is what we call salvation. This is what the ancients call awakening. And then the next stage is a really positive word, and you just heard me say it purgation. I love it. (laughs) And this is well before the concept of purgatory. Although this is what the ancients would call purgatory in this life. In the sense of we are burning out of us the things that are broken. Does that make sense? And so this is what we call sanctification. Um, This is what we call um, uh, the the process of being formed and, and to looking at the sin in our lives in a new way. Okay? so there 's like four levels of sin in this there 's layer one gross sins where you 're just like, "Man, I got saved right out of you know addiction or I got saved right out of this, and i don 't do that stuff anymore and it's like these big gross sins that, and by gross i don 't mean gross like gross um, I mean like the big stuff uh, what paul Paul has two lists in Galatians. the first one goes like this: sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery it 's my favorite. Uh, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and Game of Thrones. Those are the, the, that's the list in Galatians, okay, that Paul has, all right, um, of of what these gross sins are, right? Like these big kind of things. So layer one, like you come to follow Jesus, you're like, yeah, I got to give up drunken orgies. Right, I got to give up uh, dissension and idolatry. I got to stop worshiping um, this, um, this whatever. You're with me. I'm running out of words. My word limits almost hit. The second layer would be conscious sins, like things you know that are wrong, but you're still choosing to do them because there's something in you that's kind of hard-hearted a little bit. Like you know you shouldn't like shop. Um, and, and And spend all your money materially that there 's more to life than that you you know you shouldn 't like uh, you know be involved in this kind of sexual sin or gossip or gluttony, but you choose to do them out of like in a sense a hard heartedness in that part of your life and that 's what uh, the ancients would call unconscious uh, conscious sins and there 's unconscious sins those things in our lives that we do. Uh, Like, for instance, um, layer one anger would be um, throwing something at your spouse, right? Like domestic violence, okay? Um, And I would tell a story about Kim Frode and throwing something (laughs) at at Troy, but um, that was kind of layer one anger, wasn't it? You haven't thrown anything at him lately, right? right. So so that's like kind of layer one anger. Okay, layer two is more of like the verbal, like, you know, just, you know, um, kind of attacking each other verbally. Layer three is more of like an internal thing. Layer, layer three is like a bitterness. Layer three is like a, uh, like I'm so frustrated. I just, I'm just putting up with this person because I'm married to them. And I, I belittle them in my mind, in my heart. And that's kind of more layer three kind of stuff. And then layer four is what the ancients called trust structures. These are deep seated attitudes and inner orientations of our being out of which our behavior flows, okay? And and this would be what our Reformed friends would call idols of the heart. These are things that, um, postures, are like these are ways that you and I show up in the world in order to, uh, to be who we wanna be, um, in order to be safe, in order to be, uh, who we want to be that don't rely on God but rely on ourselves, and and one of the journeys we take in faith walking is figuring these out, and 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 figuring out how we show up um, in life. Um, and so these are these are these are part of this whole purgation thing. But this whole idea is basically this: as long as you are run by the sin in your life, the anxiety in your life, as long as you're run by that we have to manipulate people in circumstances in order to get what we want. And and which is always holding us back from loving people, okay? And so this part of the journey, this purgation part, this is, this is that part where we're trying to get all this stuff out of our lives. Um, there's two other uh, stages. Illumination is one of them. This is where we feel like we're getting a hold of some things. And we're becoming more conscious of who God is. This is where we start to see the fruit of the spirit in our life, Uh, love and joy and peace and and goodness and self-control and and gentleness. These things start to show up more and more in our lives. Um, This is what uh, the the apostle Paul calls beginning to have the mind of Christ, right? That we don't just um, believe in Jesus' death and resurrection, but we actually believe in Jesus' way of life that his way of life is actually full and rich and, and for us and, and good and something that we can have in our life. And we experience deep peace and joy. This is that stage. This is what John Ortberg calls obedience. And obedience in our culture is this dirty word. It doesn't mean like drone like uh, behavior or, or conformity. Actually, this is his definition of obedience. He says, obedience to Jesus in all things is the journey. Obedience is a far more creative, proactive, grace-powered, intelligent way of life than is normally thought in our day. The obedience Jesus called for requires judgment, discernment, creativity, initiative. It's about becoming an excellent person, not an excellent rule follower. In fact, an obsessive concern with following rules will hinder your development in becoming the kind of person that does what Jesus says, right? So much of our thinking in church life has become rule followers. That's not what this is about. That's not Jesus's heart. And the final part is union. This is what the ancients call union. It's this level and and few people get to it. I mean, it's like this, and it sounds don't let this sound like some Eastern religious thing where it's like levels. But you get to a place in your life where, as Jesus says, be perfect as I am perfect. This idea of complete, that the end goal is something more important than, um, than anything else. That there's this, what uh, the Greek word is telos, we get teleology from it this idea of being mature is not being sinless, but the fact of the matter is that the stage, stage of our lives it becomes something where a sin is an exception rather than the rule. That we actually become unified with God in more ways. That instead of praying to some God out there or some God with us, that we actually experience God in, in a way that is more connected, and, 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 and full than ever before. This language of union actually comes from John's writing. In John chapter 15, the beginning of his teaching, he says this, Jesus' is teaching, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. It's this unity that John's talking about. And then at the end of this teaching, he says, I in them... And you and me. So that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This idea of a triangle. The closer we get to God, you've seen the triangle, right? Usually worked in like marriage counseling. Like, here's you, here's you, here's God. And when you get closer to God, you get closer to each other. Right? Did you like that? Yeah. So that's the idea. The idea behind it is we get closer to God, we actually become more loving and close to the people around us. This is what Jesus talks about with the word abide. And the word abide actually has its root words. And the idea behind it is to make your home in Jesus. To make your home in Jesus. Whereas before we made our home in lust and anger and discontentment and disillusionment and discouragement and and unsatisfaction, and this is more about more than just reading the Bible, okay, kind of stuff. This, is, um, this kind of piece of union has a lot to do with just who we're becoming. So here's just me wrapping it up right now. This is sound just as, like you're just like, what is happening? I don't even know what's happening. The end is to abide in God. That's the end. That's where Jesus is taking us. And the outcome of that is that we incarnate his love in this world. So as Robert Mulholland writes in his book, we are being formed, okay, in the image of Christ for the sake of the world. That's the journey. And this is key because... Some of us are sitting in this room going, man, this sounds like a pipe dream. Like, I'm just having a hard time even getting to church on Sunday. Like, I don't even know, I, 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 I don't even know what's next in my journey. But let me just, let me just ask you, if any of this has resonated with you, if any of this is something that you go, I want that, like, I, I really do want that. I want to be less anxious. I want to be closer to God. I want, I want these things in my life. I want to be able to face the difficulties in my life well. Like as the person God created me to be. And we tasted these things, right? We have moments in our lives where if you can reflect, uh, you've lost all sense of time. There's just such joy and goodness Maybe it's been through serving people. Maybe you've just been in a position and a place in your life where you've just gotten to pour out your life towards people and you just felt fully alive and fully connected to who God was. Maybe it's even in the midst of tragedy in your life, a moment where it felt like everything was falling apart, but you still had this deep sense of peace that even though life wasn't okay, you were okay. And, and, and here's the thing. All these things, these are just like little tastes, little pictures of what it could be. So the question for you and I as we head into this journey together is this. What stage seems to best describe your life right now? I'm like, have you been able to really just go, oh, this is the season of life I'm in. This is the stage of where I am in following Jesus. Like, I've still got some things in my life that God is trying to push out of me. And maybe that's where you got to lean in. So my challenge for you, I have two challenges for you this week. One is this, get one-on-one with somebody. Like get one-on-one with somebody. It doesn't have to be your spouse or your girlfriend or boyfriend. Like I would encourage you to get one-on-one with somebody in your life and just say, hey, I want to share where I'm at. Like just being honest. Like, this is where I'm at. This is where I'm frustrated. This is where I have an obstacle. This is where I'm at. Maybe you could share a little bit of the journey like I just shared with you. This is where it was great in my life. This is where I just was sucking wind. This, you know, this, these are the places. Maybe you could, like, write it out on a map and, and kind of trace it and say, this are the highs, these are the lows. That's my challenge for you this week. I'm going to force you to view your life from 30,000 feet. How would you tell your story to this point? The goal is not to like achieve the next stage. The goal is to figure out where you are. Okay? The second challenge is this. For some of you, it may include faith walking. It may include this journey that we'll go through, it's a two-day thing where we actually get to walk you down some of these roads. And you will have a chance throughout the day, you'll have time just totally by yourself to reflect on your life, to reflect on your journey, to hear from the spirit What, where am I at? And then you come back and we get to talk about it. And then we do it again. And then we get to get to these places in our lives that are actually default, little like tacit places in our lives where we're acting out behavior and we don't know where that comes from. Maybe you want to jump into that with us. But the big question I'm going to put on the screen and we're done. What are the invitations to me in this stage of my apprenticeship to Jesus? What are the invitations to you from Jesus? What is Jesus asking you? What is Where is Jesus inviting you in this next stage in your apprenticeship? Let me pray.